0: Hey, this is Russ Payton with Roleplaying Public Radio, and we are doing an interview today with uh, Daryl Claunch. Daryl Claunch is someone I uh, know in real life, and <laughs> weirdly enough, uh, usually I do the, just so you know, Daryl, most of my interviews are through Skype with game designers. So uh, Daryl and I have known each other through years through Nathan Shelton, uh, who you may remember from some RPPR videos, uh, and of course he created Shadowbound, which I've talked about on the podcast. Uh, But Daryl has a background in game design, art, and CGI. He actually spent several years working in Hollywood as an animator uh, or working in computer effects. You can specify exactly. A visual effects
1: compositor. That's the official term.
0: Visual effects compositor. Uh, So... Recently, uh, Daryl and I worked together on a movie called *The Wait*, which was shot in Springfield and Greenfield, Missouri. Uh, and Daryl was technically was my boss for uh, as a production designer, basically meant props and set dressing. And I was assistant art director for a, a total of three days. Uh, very what exciting. Three days. Uh, well, okay, yeah, and the week of pre-production. So yeah, yeah. So uh, a very uh, busy time, uh, but. Uh, now that the production is over, uh, of course, during downtime we would uh, Daryl talk about his times in there, in the uh, in Hollywood, and I was just like, "Oh wow, this is cool stuff!" And uh, I figured, why don't we do an interview on the podcast? Just because, well, why not? <laughs> <laughs> I know this is, uh, but Daryl ha- does have background in gaming too, as well. So uh, we'll get into some of that uh, uh, as we go on. So uh, first off, Daryl, uh, go ahead and introduce uh, yourself, uh, leaving the gaps of your background and in gaming yeah. and. Uh, like I said, Daryl Um
1: I, I worked for three years in uh, video game design as an artist for mainly Nintendo DS titles, uh, did a lot of Nick Jr. and that sort of thing,
0: and uh, then... Uh, that was with Black Lantern that Studios. That was with Black Lantern Studios, Also yeah, based also. in Springfield, Missouri. Yeah. yeah. I almost worked for them, but then things happened, I'm not sure. <laughs> politics, yeah. Uh, yeah,
1: it, it all fell off. Office hard. politics, yeah. Yeah, you I know how it works. Um, and then I'd, I've done some uh, art for uh, card games and, and a few computer games and that sort of thing. Uh, and then uh, I try to make, make my way as an illustrator now, and uh, I still do freelance uh, visual effects. Uh, but like Ross said, that was, uh, that was what took me out to L.A. because I always wanted to be involved in the film industry. And uh, <laughs> I kind of got a little tired of, of some of the politics in the, the video game industry, Without that, realizing that they're almost the exact same politics in the film industry, uh, <clears throat> mainly I think because I mean there, there's huge sums of money thrown around, yeah. and uh, they're both fairly young industries as far as the sections I was working in, and so okay. I like uh, the people you're working with, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's because uh, like the video game stuff's only been around since the mid '80s, and the visual effects stuff is around that same era, you know, '80s, '90s as far as being on a larger scale yeah the um, computer side of it yeah exactly uh, and, and so a lot of the a lot of the, the positions in, in the film industry anyway that have uh, a lot of bureaucracy and set up in unions and that sort of thing they're the ones that have been around since the 30s and 40s
0: um, and so we just haven't quite, I guess, imploded in the artist sector. Right. Yet. There's no unions There's uh, in a lot of – and so you don't have those standardized protections. So we'll, we'll get into that because one of the things I thought about when you're talking about some of this stuff is like, oh, my God, this would be great for games because uh, – role-playing games because uh, there are systems out there. Uh, that you know not everything has to be supernatural or fantasy or horror or whatever uh there are games i, I know in the email when we were talking about it was fiasco, which was mm-hmm. basically Coen brothers movies the the role playing game okay. uh and I think some of the back again this office politics and this exploitation would be really interesting stuff uh to uh, put into a game, but uh, there's also a dirty world so you could have a noir darker thing uh but we'll we'll talk about that. Okay. Uh, in a little bit, so um, yeah. Well, for, well, I mean, why don't we first talk about like your uh, first? What it was like to be a, in video games, like in terms? Because this is not like the big glamour stuff, the AAA titles. This is sort of the the uh, bread and butter of the video game industry, which are licensed games and like right. most people when they go into video games. Oh, I'm going to be working on Call of Duty. Well, no, right. that's a little harder to get into. First door, of the Explorer needs a video game. Yeah, exactly.
1: And that's I mean, that, like you said, that's where a lot of the money is. It's, hey, we have uh, a TV show or something like that and we just want to make more money off of it and especially with with some of the stuff that was aimed more towards children it felt like that most of the games were specifically aimed at uh, getting grandmas to buy their kids gifts. You know, like they walk into the store and (laughs) they go, oh Sammy, he loves uh, Dora the Explorer. Obviously I can just grab that game and and they're going to love it. Um, And you know, and they're all the $20 price point and so Uh, It's it's a weird kind of gray area where they don't care because it's kind of a a lower-end title, but, you know, it's part of their universe, and so uh, you had to draw, like, these characters' feet exactly one way and make sure that everything was this very specific proportion, but especially with the Nintendo stuff, you're doing it, like, 16 pixels tall, you know, where it it doesn't really matter that much. But, (laughs) um, so, yeah, and... and, uh, you, you do that for a really, really long time. <laughs> and then maybe you get to actually work on something that your friends would Play you know,, um, and if you work a really long time, then you get to do call of duty and that
0: that sort of thing uh, the week I was there, like I um, was working uh, or they they were having meetings about the Wizards of Waverly place right. and I remember sitting in on meetings between the people at the studio and the people at Disney, obviously, mm-hmm. and there seemed to be and they seemed to you know that even though this is a little bunch thing, they really cared. About like I mean, you mentioned that they have to be drawn in, in a certain way. So mm-hmm. it seems like that a lot of this that people don't realize is that they're very strict. I wouldn't say style guides, but like, well, maybe that's part of it. But like, yeah. there seems to be a lot more than just like, I'm video game person, I make game. And then I'm corporate person, I give you money. There seems right. to be a lot of back and forth between the two and all. Yeah. And like... Because they have their own creative concerns and they care about the quality of the product. Right. I don't know. I mean, what is that like? That dynamic between the studio and the publisher?
1: Um, well, I mean, yeah, you're right. It, it's it's branding. It, yeah. I guess is where the style
0: okay. comes in. Um,
1: but yeah, you you have three steps. So you have us, you know, the mm. local artist guys, the grunts um, <laughs> that are putting this thing all together, and then you have the publisher, who are the ones that are just like, we want to buy this title. The rights for it, so we can make money off of it. They don't like; they have no stake in Disney per se, except for wanting mm-hmm. to get more work from them. And then you have Disney, who wants everything. Okay, so there's be yeah. Beautiful. So
0: I didn't even realize there's three holes. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And so we, the the artists, or the you know the game studio, uh, they deal directly with the publisher, mm-hmm. who again, it's just money for them. They want it out as quick and cheap as possible. That's yeah. it. Um, and then through the publisher, eighty percent of the time, uh, we get notes from. Disney or whomever the the owner of the property is, uh, and then like about twenty percent of the time we actually yeah. get to talk to Disney, and if they are uh, they have no idea they don't they're not worried about it so much being quickly and cheaply made they just want it to look really good and really support their brand right and so you have kind of like the, this disparity between the artists who obviously want it to be pretty and not die because they're working one hundred twenty hour weeks, um, and Disney who wants it to look great because it's their product and then. The, the business you know kind of barrier in between that middleman uh and you know the art artist the the studio has to please both the <clears throat> publisher and the, uh, the the game owner and uh so you you're dealing with two very different right s- uh, style of of management and stuff like
0: that well everyone has their own goals and these goals yeah. are not necessarily mutually exclusive but there is there's is obviously conflict between them between right. like budget and quality and tone um, was you know recently I did read something about like uh, I guess and this also relates to Hollywood too like uh, you remember the movie Holes and or yeah, yeah. and uh, the first version of the script was actually written by the guy who wrote Donnie Darko and uh, he adapted the, he tr- they, tr- they said adapt this book and he added, made it very grimdark, added like having the children go visit prostitutes and like there's like a nuclear war that caused everything and then it was just like way, way inappropriate. I could see why like, you know, people think the studio is always good or the artist is always good, but sometimes you're like, well, maybe we should not do whatever interpretation you think of. So, uh, In your series, I mean like, does the publisher, I mean, does the publisher care about that stuff at all? I mean, would they be like, yeah, sure, Frank Miller whatever, I don't care. Or I mean, obviously that didn't happen at Black Lanterns, right, but right. that's just sort of an example. I um, mean,
1: obviously they, they I mean, they want it to be a good game overall too, so they, they yeah. worry about quality control. Um, but as far as like overall, not really. I mean, they—they they, <laughs> they would be like, well, cooking games are really big, so let's make yeah. it into a cooking game. Okay. and that would be like the extent of it and then it would be you know
0: the regardless of what the actual brand is it's like right. these wizards are now cooking or whatever right
1: you know? right yeah. and I mean that was it was one thing black Lennon actually had done really well they did a uh, uh, like one of those kitchen War shows off of uh, the food Network yeah uh, iron Chef they I think that was it they did an iron chef game and it, it actually did really really well and it was gameplay was fun. Uh, and then, like the next like ten games we did, had like a cooking mini game. So like <laughs> Nihal, Kailan had a a cooking mini game, and Dora had a cooking mini game, and Garfield had a cooking mini game. You know, and it was just because oh, you guys did this well. You've already got the
0: framework set up, so we have that already done. So that cool. was, that was from the publisher they were, yeah. That was yeah. not even from the, uh, Disney or whoever owned the license. Right. They're just and like, so they, Oh, we have the iron chef guys. You know, you want to iron chef Garfield? Let's yeah, iron yeah. chef Garfield. <laughs> exactly. And that would be the pitch the publisher would put towards
1: the, the bigger. And sometimes it would work out and sometimes it'd be fun. Uh, honestly, yeah. uh, it was probably the, pardon the pun, the cheesiest game I, I worked on, but my favorite game was a Chuck E. Cheese game. Yeah. Um, and it had a you, you had an arcade in one section and then a pizza cooking thing in the other section. Yeah. In order to get coins to play in the arcade, you had to make pizzas.
0: Uh, well. Um, logical.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that kind of suited the, the thing a little bit more. And it was a completely silly game. And that was one of those things where it was like the the licensor uh, had Chuck E. Cheese, just like, Here, have fun. Go yeah. do whatever. Uh, the publisher's like, It's Chuck E. Cheese, man. You know, just make it fun, make it play you know, playable, or whatever. And we actually we got to run with it. And uh, kind of because they were less concerned about how quick we were getting it out and just shoving things through, um, it was a lot of fun. Like, I didn't work stupid, stupid hours. Like, when I was working in the video game industry, my average week was an 85-hour work week. And that I was on salary. Wow. So, yeah, it didn't matter how, if I worked 30 hours or 80 hours. I was getting paid the exact same amount. A, that's an
0: interesting incentive there, too.
1: <laughs> right? Well, and you don't even get a free copy of the game afterwards. What? Like, like, that's an industry thing, too. It's like, you know, one of the lines was, you know, guys, you, if you're proud of this, you ought to be really excited to pick it up at the store. And I'm like, well, no, I'm excited to pick it up at the store. Don't get me wrong, but come on, man.
0: <laughs> one free That copy. costs you like a dollar to make, right? Like, well, yeah, and at they, most.
1: And they, they can work it into the contract, too, where it's like yeah. we get 100 free copies, you know, to the game studio. But yeah. It's, it's not, like I said, it's just not a standard because we haven't been around as far as an industry long enough to have these standards really set into place yet.
0: Uh, yeah, one common criticism I've heard of the video game industry is that it relies on exploiting young, very uh, naturally uh, interested people in video games. Right. You know, like the, the, the gamers are like, oh, God, I want to work in video games. Yeah. And they just, companies squeeze as much as they can out before they ring, throw them away. Right, is that it's it's a hundred percent accurate, and it's it's actually <laughs> the, exactly
1: the same in the the film industry as, as okay. far as the visual effects side too. Yeah, so
0: why don't we talk about that uh, um, a little bit? Well, so, I mean, I'll, just yeah,
1: to, to, go, go, go. To, to touch on that real quick is yeah they uh, they like to especially the lower end stuff like the license games they like to hit colleges fresh fresh recruits or uh, one of the studios I was at while I was working visual effects. Um, I don't know if, if you or your listeners are familiar with the uh, the Visual Effects Studio Digital Domain, Digital Domain, uh, but it was one of the big ones uh, since the late '80s. I mean, it was huge. Uh, but they, you know, they did effects for like The Fifth Element and stuff. Oh yeah, been yeah, for a while, uh, and it was one of the ones I wanted to work for when I went out to, yeah. to Hollywood. Um, and just kind of the nature of it, they uh, had like six studios worldwide, and they actually set up a. Uh, a school in Florida, near one of their their studios, where uh, it was a college. You know, it was just yeah. like a, a visual effects college. The students would go in there and they would learn. They would work. Uh, you know, they they would learn through experience, but they would actually be paying their like tuition to work on films, to like do special effects on films, and so. I mean, is this full sale or is this n- full sale was tied in with them? Right? Okay, uh, full sale and I think maybe the DAV or Dave School, uh, and I yeah. could be wrong. So on either of that, but I know I know that full sale. A lot of the folks that I worked with went from full sale into this yeah digital domain university sort of thing. That then you know you'd work there for like six months, whatever, and then you get shuffled into that local studio. But right after they set that up, they kind of overexpanded expanded and then ended up closing. Yeah. Uh, and so a lot of the studios from l a sent recruiters down to this uh, to to pick up all of these fresh out of college kids who are excited to work in in the the field and anything to get a credit and uh, and then ship them back and then immediately start working on the eighty and ninety hour weeks and wow, you know seventeen dollars an hour if they're lucky, that sort of thing and which sounds like a lot. In Missouri, but
0: yeah. when you get out to LA, that
1: that, that changes really it's quickly. A shoebox apartment. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and so, yeah, a lot of the a lot of the folks that I, I worked with out there, and, and a lot of the ones that I worked with at the game studio here, were just they're fresh out of college. Like, I love it. I want to want to be involved with this passion of mine. And yeah. then they work there for about a year, and you can just we likened it to uh, being in a war a little bit, um, where you have all the new recruits that are coming. They're all excited and eager and fresh faced. And then, after like you know eight months of like twenty four hour shifts and that sort of thing, they're all like smoking and grizzled and bags under the
0: eyes and hate everything um, yeah so. wow uh, so any um, before we move, do move on to the film because do, do you remember i mean you don't have to reveal anything you don't want to but like in terms of the kinds of conflicts that would come up between like the studio the publisher and the license uh what kind of things were the really the things that really sparked? Like no, you know, the, the I wouldn't say I don't know if there were shouting matches, but like, <laughs> uh, like, or I mean, what really? I mean, obviously, I assume budget was probably a big thing and timelines and schedules, but like features of the game or things right. like that. What what kind of thing drove people? Was Iron Chef Garfield controversial? Uh, uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it was generally the smaller titles that ended up being more more controversy. Uh, a lot of the Nickelodeon stuff, but. Uh, one of the bigger issues that would cause cause fights would be like feature creep where it's like whenever you start it you know you design it to have you do do XYZ Um, but then we get like past the beta point and the publisher's like this is really good but can we also have it do ABC (laughs) it's it's, it's like an extension of XYZ yeah Um, and of course we're like well we're already halfway in we'll just for a couple extra more hours guys push through and we'll get this thing done um, and so then you end up you know you you you're you're like 3 weeks away from supposed to ship this thing and you're having add in a whole new component which crashes the programming and does this and does that
0: and uh, was this like uh, the publisher chasing some marketing fat or something like that? Right. And like, oh, this type of game is hot. We need to add that in.
1: Well, and then you that and then you get a bureaucracy where they yeah. show it to the CEO of the company and he's like, this is great, but my kid really loves this other thing that does
0: this. So can we you're a minecraft? In can we add a minecraft to? Exactly. Garfield? exactly.
1: Yeah. And so then all of a sudden there would be this like sandbox component that yeah. was never programmed in. And you know, especially working on the the DS stuff you're working yeah. with, like most of the time, like a 16 megabyte card
0: yeah very small
1: exactly and so it's there's not a lot of room to add stuff in to begin with uh and they'd want it after you've already worked you know like three months of 80 hour weeks and so then you finish up that last month and it's (laughs) my longest my record was 110 hour week wow and again that's on salary guys so (laughs) it was like i'd get a couple hours of sleep i actually left work uh Got on a hot air balloon to propose to my wife, landed, <laughs> kissed her, and had to drive straight back to work to and do like a twenty hour shift. Jeez, like and that that was just the way life was. And I'm and I, guy. I, I got into this old, and, you know. I, yeah. I was I was twenty seven, working the video game stuff and doing these hours. You were and, the old man
0: on the hill. Exactly, yeah.
1: and like, um, yeah. It, so if you're going to get into video games and film. Uh, do, it, do it when you're young and you don't have a mortgage and you can travel around and, and handle getting beat up a little bit more because and you
0: don't understand life's expectations. Right. Like exactly. Have a spouse. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, that's my biggest recommendation to anybody is if you're going to get into the industry, get in fresh out of college be exploited while your body can still heal exactly yeah Yeah.
0: (laughs) and you have time to to use that experience the the cirrhosis hasn't kicked in in your liver
1: (laughs) exactly yeah you don't want to have a bad back when you're working 80 hour weeks it's a terrible
0: oh yeah terrible thing yeah uh but they have ping pong or something you know that they-
1: we actually had to buy our own ping pong table at most <laughs> of these places <laughs> you don't even get the no Ugh, or like it would be wow. set up and like guys you're getting too distracted by the ping pong table that that 15 hour break that we legally need to give you it's really kind of frowned on if you actually take it so let's not be seen around the ping pong table guys what
0: yeah. wow yeah um that is pretty Were there any things from the licensee, uh, the license or were they act kind of like the publisher in that respect? Like in terms of like, Oh, let's feature creep. Let's add more stuff. Or were they, or would they tell you to like, you'd tell you one thing and then two months later, like, no, do it completely differently. Yeah. It,
1: it, it would generally be the publisher that would ask, you know, for ask features. for Mars. And then right before you're ready to ship it, they're like, uh, we meant Jupiter guys.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, slight difference yeah exactly
1: so that sort of thing generally the the licensor was kind of far enough removed that they wouldn't know the hours you know that we were putting in on it or how tight or how fast these changes were and so it didn't really seem like like if they did hand something down it was like you could tell that they just had no clue what had kind of led to that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, was, and I mean, that's what the publisher's there for. They're there to deal with the, you know, all of that stuff and hand it to us and try to get that game that they think that the, the licensor really wants. Um,
0: yeah. Uh, would, you, like, different licensors, would did you have different levels of contact? Did the publisher say, like, you can't talk to these people at this time, or, like, you can call them whenever you want? Right. Or, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. You, you did have limitations? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: You... I mean, and it, it, it was, like... Disney, obviously, there's a lot of bureaucracy just because, you know. It's a giant it, company. Exactly. And that's just the nature of it. And so yeah. it would go, you know, this person would see it in marketing, and then this person would see it in the art department, and this person would see it, you know, whatever the money area would be. And then each one would get their own input, and we'd be told to kind of integrate all of that. Um, where you get some of the smaller publisher, and and the bigger thing was like the bigger companies. For the most part, it would only be the big, the big dogs would get to talk to them. You get the smaller publishers and, and licensors, and like us artists would get to talk to them a little bit and get more direct yeah. input and stuff like that. Um, and then you have you have some that were actually like uh, the best one to work with and worked on them three or four titles was Pop Cap. They did like Bejeweled and uh, Zombies Ate My Neighbors yeah, and that yeah, sort yeah. of thing.
0: I played Zombies, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And,
1: and and they were they were amazing to work with. Like, and if every single milestone that we did, they would buy uh, Buffalo Wild Wings and beer. <laughs> and I'm like we'd work hours, but it really wasn't as bad for yeah. them because it was obviously it was obvious that they respected and they knew what was going on, and so they kind of gave back. And they were super cool, but as one of uh, one of the producers said, the reason that they were able to be that Laid back was because they had the the bejeweled trust fund. Like they had made so much money off of that that it allowed yeah. them to be a little more casual and really get things right, uh, which was kind of a mantra through that whole
0: studio, you know. Um,
1: and, and there wasn't like there wasn't a middleman with that. Like they owned the license and they were the publisher.
0: Only people you deal with, right? Yeah.
1: And so like that that was like a dream. Uh, a dream kind of stuff. Okay. and I mean even in other cases there were little highlights like the first video game that I got to work on was a Garfield game uh, which it was a lot of fun and uh, you know I, I grew up reading the Sunday comics uh, sure and you know the, the 80's cartoons um, and so it was cool that like I got to design a few new characters and they got approved by Jim Schultz you know or
0: Jim Davis Jim
1: Davis I just completely I've had a lot of peanuts on the brain recently. I'm sorry <laughs> that's uh, fine but yeah, so Jim Davis like would approve it, and then at the end, if we wanted, uh,
0: wasn't it an alien video game that I was thinking about, or like what was the? Oh, uh, that was the second one. That was like okay. Pet Force, where they okay, had, like, yeah, superpowers and stuff. Like this yeah. was
1: just basically like a Mario Brothers side scroller that I wanted uh, okay,
0: to. and you like the little Goomba equivalents. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Uh, and at the end of that, we all when they, we had the option of sending in our box art to have Jim Davis autograph it to each of us artists and he'd send it back. So that... Oh, wow. That was cool. Like Yeah. Like that's definitely that's one nice of those eager, young, like, yeah, 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 you know, sorts of moments. But <laughs> again, that was my first video game. That was before three years of getting very jaded by the whole Ground process. down.
0: Exactly. So after three years of this, yeah. you're like... I think with my luck, I should go to sunny California. It'll be great. <laughs> exactly, they'll pay better. I'll better benefit or something. Right. I, what was, what, I don't know. What was? Well, I always wanted to work in a film. And, sure. Uh,
1: the getting into video games was kind of an accident sort of thing. I worked at a, a local TV station as a creative director for sort of three years. That seems to be my my kind of cutoff. <laughs> um, and they got bought out by another local station, and they they let go of all the creative kids. And so I did like a year of freelance. And I had, I was dumb, and while I was at the TV station, I bought a house, and so I had a mortgage to support. And uh, so the freelance, as it goes, you know, there's peaks and and low points. Feast or famine, as yeah. it
0: is. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah. And I, I had a, a very long famine period, and so I was <laughs> basically contacting guys from college, and one of them was working at the video game studio. It was like, uh, he may have even been like the studio head or something like that yeah. point. And so he got me on on there. Um, and so I was at the video game studio for three years, and the uh, market kind of started to fall out of the Nintendo DS range. And so like they, I think they had hired up to like a hundred and some They had one in Texas
0: too. Yeah. They had one in St. Louis and they had
1: one in Austin and yeah. And then uh, the the market just kind of dropped out of the lower end video games. And so they ended up like laying off all but like 20% of their staff or something like that. Um, And so then I did another year of freelance and I'm like, and I was married by this point and I still had the mortgage and I was like, man, I've done this freelancing before, and that was really rough and not a lot of fun. And there's just not a lot of video production in Springfield, Missouri. Surprise, surprise. Um, yeah, you know, We don't have kids. My wife, uh, she wanted to do acting. Yeah. And so it was like, you know, we both really want to be involved in film. We're like, you know what? Now is the time. Let's go out there and, and Try get in a like film. Yeah and, yeah, and just see it. And uh, and so we, we tried doing it smart. I moved out there six months before she did, all on my own. Uh lived in a, a friend's basement next to the washer and dryer. They were very kind to, to let me stay there pretty much rent-free uh, while I looked for work. And again, I was naive. I was like, maybe it'll take me a month. I was applying for everything. Uh, the thing that you don't realize when you move to L.A. is that there's so many unemployed actors and actresses and other people in the industry <laughs> that it is almost impossible to even get like a job as a waiter. Well, people.
0: it's a very seasonal thing, too. Like, yeah. people don't have like 20-year jobs at one place. They get signed up for one movie, one show. Right. And then, like after that season is done, they're let go and they, they yeah. have to be lucky enough to get hired on Right, right. for right. the most. But that's the average thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, and even then yeah. you have like, uh, during the summer and Christmas, there's not much production. And so yeah, almost see, everything yeah. dies off then as well. But yeah, that, and that was one thing I didn't realize because you always hear about this person, last person got hired on at such and such TV show. And, and the first uh, studio I did get hired on at, uh, I was, my first movie was the Muppets, which was pretty cool. Um, but I'm talking, again, to these guys that are all, like, eight years younger than me. They're all, like, 21, 22. And they talk about all the studios that they've worked at. And I'm like, Man, that's a lot of studios for how young you are. You, you really haven't been in this that long. And I didn't realize that that's the thing. Like, if you get a three-month contract, you're doing pretty good. Like, yeah. And nine-month contracts are next to unheard of. Yeah and so it's very much like it's almost like
0: freelancing but
1: yeah no exactly exactly yeah. and in each each individual studio has its own you know uh bureaucracy and set of uh rules that as far as the hiring process like some you come in and you you if, if you get past six months you're staff some of them you can come in and you're going to be temporary you know freelancer, whatever uh for however long you're there and you're paying your own taxes and then some yeah. of the others they pay your taxes you know uh in both the video game industry and visual effects industry, uh, health insurance is almost impossible to come by. Yeah. So get to know your uh,
0: Obamacare, folks. Just, just <laughs> Healthcare.gov. Like exactly. Trust me on this. Um, well, Medi- well, California accepted Medicaid, eh, unlike Missouri. Right. <laughs> so, uh, the Med- yeah. Uh, hooray for Missouri. Yep. Uh, so. as speaking as a freelancer. Yeah. No, I know. Uh, so, yeah and you told me a story about like how you you had to keep going to these job fairs and you just got lucky with one yeah, like and, uh, uh,
1: what,
0: <laughs> yeah it, it was it was insane luck it was like I said I went out there and my
1: background like my resume was a lot of video game titles like Sesame Street and all that yeah. sort of stuff but I wanted to get into visual effects in, or uh, you know we well, also had the TV background exactly But, okay. I mean it's
0: local but so
1: yeah. i I was applying for like production assistance and that sort of thing, which I knew was something that generally goes to like seventeen year olds and that sort of deal. yeah. Um, But there was a a job fair uh, put on by the VES, the Visual Effects Society, which honestly, I just saw job fair and was like, it's 20 bucks. It's at a hotel where one of my buddies works, so I can go. Uh, Disney was there, Disney Animation and Insomniac Games, um, which uh, big fan of their stuff. And so I was like, I want to go and talk to those two people because like. If I just email a resume, I'm just a, a piece of paper. Maybe they see a face, right? You know, I, I'm I was 27, I'm, real. And I'm still a real naive. human boy, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and so I figured if all else fails, I'll get a, a beer with my buddy afterwards, and it'll still be all yeah. right. So put on my suit, went in there, and it was a visual effects job fair. There was like 20 or 30 visual effects studios. I talked to Insomniac Games, and they're like, uh, we've only got really like two people that do what you do and they've kind of been there forever so we'll take your resume but What's the... <laughs> are you telling me to kill these two
0: people like <laughs> is this a hint
1: is this a test Uh, And then Disney Animation was like, well, did you apply online? I was like, well, yeah. And, uh, you know, it said contact somebody. like, okay, well, yeah, I'll write your name down. Just hand off your resume. Here's a free sketch pad and a little cardboard animator desk. And I was like, okay, that's cool. And so that obviously took me all of, like, six minutes, which, you know, took me longer to get from the parking garage up there for that. Right. Um, And I did realize that, like, in this sea of people applying for stuff, and it may be a... uh, it's definitely a switch from Midwest values, as far as when you go to an interview in California, values when you go to an interview. But I would, myself and one other gentleman, the only two there that were wearing a suit and tie, everybody else was in like torn up jeans and t-shirts and whatnot. And you know, I ran into some of these people at other studios, so I know they were getting hired and all that. So I can't comment, but I was like, "Well, I'm obviously going to stand out. I've got a, a folder full of resumes and I've got free time, and so I just went to every single booth and talked to every single one of these studios. So like, yeah. I don't have a reel I, you know my college project kind of was this compositing thing um, but I'll I'll shuffle papers I'll do whatever yeah. you know I just I don't have any problems starting at the bottom and I talked to one uh, studio Look Effects, who they had done work on Limitless and Black Swan and pretty much every single thing that uh, uh, Darren Aronofsky had oh, done because yeah, yeah. they actually shared a studio space in New York um, and so I was just like you know I like your reel and I was talking to this guy uh, and he was like six foot five uh hispanic guy with like tattoos down his arms i just like you know he, tell, he like lifted he was like a really imposing figure uh barely made eye contact with me for the whole like 10 minutes i was talking to him and uh you know i left my resume and and uh didn't hear anything for three months which again i didn't realize how seasonal it was so the, the affair was in uh june Yeah. And so I didn't hear anything until August and he calls me up. He's like, Hey, were you the guy with the beard and the suit? (laughs) I was like, yeah. He's like, Hey, come in for this interview. I'm like, okay. And so again, I put on a a suit and tie uh, and went into this interview and uh, was all prepared to just shuffle papers and, you know, just do office work and stuff like that. And he looks at it and he's like, well, you know, I talked to you sound like you kind of had a handle on, what visual effects were, and it says Sesame Street here on your resume. I'm like, well, yeah, but that's a video game, man. That has nothing to do with the Muppets, which is what they're working on. He's like, nah, it, it sounds like you know what you're doing. I was like, okay. So he's like, Can you start Monday. I was like, cool. Uh, so you want me? To, do I uh, paperwork? Do I need to bring anything? Uh, you know, am I just gonna be like getting coffee for you guys? Where he's like, no, dude, you're gonna you're gonna be doing the effects. You're gonna we're, we're gonna train you on this stuff. And it was just yeah it it was it was at like i had wore out my welcome at my friend's house my wife was like ah you gotta either come back or stay out you know or i gotta get out there we gotta figure something out the six months apart i'd seen her once in those six months right um and so it was just it whatever god you believe in he helped me (laughs) out at that point because it was it was pretty amazing and in that 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 was at first place, where I ended up with 10 months of solid work, which, again, I didn't know was completely unheard of at the time, and got to meet a lot of cool people, and I worked on some cool titles. Like I so said, The Muppets, uh, the last Underworld movie, uh, a couple of not-so-good titles like The Dictator and that sort of thing. <laughs> but, you know, you learn from all of them. The dictator's on my,
0: my reel, so I can't say anything, Can't say anything. <laughs> can't say I too, anything. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh yeah well, so I guess the the lesson is make sure you look different than every other applicant <laughs> at a job fair <laughs> right. exactly if everyone else's suits wear yeah the the t-shirt with the tattoos or something S- like that something to stand yeah. out yeah. I yeah. guess but yeah big um, red hat facial scars exactly <laughs> an eye patch yeah I, Just, oh my that, yeah. there you go stand eye out for the crowd man yeah
1: uh, uh, I did get to work on the life of Pi while I was there so oh, that that's was awesome. you know. Yeah. That that was cool, and four yeah. was. Uh,
0: so the, so you got in, and then to your I don't know horror uh, surprise, not surprise. You find out that the politics, that the the issues dealing with these in these, uh, visual effects companies are similar to the ones you saw in the video game industry, right? Um, but I mean, there were some differences, right? Or right. like, I mean, what was it? What well, was I mean, what, what was your reaction to this? Like, they, oh God, what have I done? No, or, it, it was like it was a slow creeping fear, <laughs> is basically what it was. Because, because Look
1: Effects, when I when I got there, was actually like really family oriented. Um, they had had kind of like I said, because they always worked there in Aronofsky, they always worked on the Wes Anderson films, and so they had some standards that they were always yeah. with. Um, and they worked on bones for like five seasons and so they had like a constant cash flow. Um, and so it was it was very much focused on on being fair pretty much to everybody. So I'd put in the occasional like sixty hour week or whatever, but it, it was kind of far and few. It was way better
0: than the ninety hour. Exactly, exactly.
1: Okay. And so I was like, This isn't that bad, but it was like after Christmas, you know, when they, you know, we got our coats with the company logo on it and all that and yeah. I start hearing Guys talk about, well, it's going to be slowing down here in the next couple of months. I want to start putting my resume out there. And I'm like, wait, wait what? I'm ready to stay at this company forever, guys. You know, uh, hoorah. But and as it went on, it was like, you know, people would start drifting out. And it was like, oh, because they found that they got a contract through the summer somewhere. And, you know, like that's a big deal. And, um, yeah. And so and then I hit my first summer in L.A., uh, which was just like I actually I had some good titles on my resume I had a decent reel at this point and I yeah. I just couldn't find work like at all
0: and at this point because everyone else had already done that like they'd done
1: exactly it like yeah, yeah. they they were smart and they started applying it's like, in April yeah like and it's I like was,
0: college you got to apply for those classes early, early. Yeah. exactly
1: and so I wasn't applying until late May when all of a sudden I was like oh no and you know and with every studio that sort of situation like well when work picks up we'll hire you back. What yeah. you don't realize is that's probably going to be November, you know, yeah. like when it really starts speeding up again. So, yeah, it was first the first summer in LA was kind of terrifying uh, because you know we we kept our house in Springfield because the uh, housing market crashed shortly <laughs> after time. that. Exactly. Uh, so we had a, a Springfield mortgage, and then we had our uh, tiny apartment in LA, uh, which. Our house here in town is a three-bedroom, two-car yeah, garage. Yeah. You know, fairly nice. Uh, and 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 our slightly larger than a studio apartment, like 400-square-foot apartment out there, was more than our mortgage Wow. Here. Yeah. Um, and he was looking at like three months without work. And then, you know, my wife moved out there, and she's a... Uh, background in teaching and education and stuff like that and <laughs> the unions for the the teacher stuff is so heavy out there it actually took her almost a year and a half of going through the bureaucracy and paperwork before she was ineligible to substitute Wow so it, that first you know three months of no work and those bills and yeah. all that stuff it, it that was the uh, that was the, the crucible to get through like you know and if your friends are in the industry then they, they help you out you know and they try to feed you little freelance jobs here and there. You never
0: know when you can help exactly. them. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so it's smart. Yeah. I mean
1: there's a lot of shadiness kind of attributed to 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 LA, but when it comes down to it, you know, you if you help out people, they will help you and that's kinda how you survive. Like networking is your biggest friend, which I hate socializing, so that was like that was a big <laughs> learning curve too. Um, but like, so during the summers and stuff, I do some commercial work, and, yeah. And that's where that's kind of how you hobble through the summer until things start picking up in the fall. And then that is uh, the the studios I got into there were a little smaller, and that was whenever these bigger hours kind of started kicking in because they've got to get the movie out, you know. And so, so it's not necessarily
0: the-, the largest companies that are the most explo- exploitative; it's the ones that are. Facing the most pressure, exactly, exactly, so.
1: and um, but then again, like one of the, the the main studio I spent my time at out there, um, again I was I was pushed back to ninety hundred hour weeks like on a regular basis, so yeah, it, you can't tell really, right? Um, and that, <laughs> that was that sort of thing where it's like uh, the visual effects industry is the last step in the process. And so everybody else has gone past their due date. And yeah. so it all comes to us to kind of make up that time because they've already sent out posters, you know, and marketing of this movie is going to be in theaters March 14th. And there was multiple times where we were still getting, you know, shots and effects and to, to composite together uh, on May 10th because it's digital now.
0: Yeah. So you can, they can just download it. Uh, I suppose we should, like, go into what compositing is. Just, I oh, mean, yeah. like, yeah. Because uh, not everybody will understand that. Uh, so, like, animating is, like, a totally different thing where you create, like, a spaceship or something like in that. Right. But, but the biggest thing is how do you get that in the shot, mixing it with real people, for example. Right,
1: right, right. right. Yeah, a compositor's job is, is basically to create a composite. Like, uh, we won't necessarily create effects on our own. Uh, like, 3D stuff is generally done by a specific 3D person, like that spaceship or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and then we get a plate of footage that's people screaming and freaking out in front of a green screen. Yeah. And so then what we do is we remove the green screen, we drop in the sky, we put in explosions and laser blasts, put in the 3D ships, uh, and any particles like dust or clouds or anything like that, and then put the people back on top and then make sure it's all color corrected so it all blends and it looks nice and pretty and looks real. Right, like that's what a compositor does.
0: But and this isn't just a purely technical thing. It's not like an objective. This there is only one right way to do it. There right. are create there are creative challenges in this too. Like right. how how much do you put in one element versus the other or something like exactly. That. So like uh, I mean, this might get a little technical for people. but could you give a sense of like what those challenges are like? Uh, well, like, or what your philo- what your philosophy came to be as a compositor. You, you learned... Or you what learned, the schools are, I guess. Uh,
1: specific tricks to kind of make things blend a little bit better that yeah. you jump to kind of immediately just to sell the image. Because, again, it, it, I mean, you look at every film, every film has a very different artistic look. And yeah. so you can't just go, I'm going to do it this way across the board because... Sometimes they just want to
0: saturate the. Yeah, Wes Anderson will want it to different than Aronof- Aronofsky. Exactly. And
1: so you have to learn... One, you, there's definitely kind of a, a period where you're learning what the uh, what the director wants. You know, yeah. like as far as, okay, he loves this, we're getting constant notes on this.
0: And that could be like the first third of the what what, what kind of things do directors like or dislike? I mean, not obviously you can't generalize, but what types of things do they respond to or like in general it's <laughs> i don't know i guess that's that might be a little yeah, too vague or, yeah
1: or... i mean it, it definitely it was it was person to person because you'd have some that like really just wouldn't care as long as it blended mostly well and then you'd have others that was like uh rebuild the hair because the green screen kind of messed with the edges and so make some fake hair and animated in behind Oh the real wow, hair. Okay, very specific yeah and so it would it would definitely depend on the not only the director but again the bureaucracy that was between you and the director.
0: So again, kind of like the video games, exactly, I mean, exactly. Studio publisher, you, uh, studio publisher license, and then now it's you, uh, studio director, director, and then film executives. Yeah, basically the studio. Yeah, yeah. The, they, they would be the the movie studio, not the exactly, and the, that's studio.
1: that's where honestly you you'd end up with more of the, the big changes and stuff uh, in the film world is that you know you'd go through the uh visual effects producer, mm-hmm. uh, and then he would show it generally it would almost go directly to like the producer or the director at that point and he would see it and they would love it or whatever and then the uh the studio exec would see it and then they would have changes. And again, it's like studio exec is his money. It's yeah. not his passion. Yeah. And so what he would tell us to do may be completely different than what the director is, but we'd still have to do it. So then the
0: director would see that and go way, 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 way. So, but so the director wouldn't even know what the executive's saying.
1: Yeah, not necessarily.
0: So you would have to tell them. Or well, what we someone show it, them and
1: hope it yeah, hope hope it's okay. So
0: there was a deception between you had to, like, essentially, did you have to, like, lie to the director? Like uh, well, not, No,
1: there wouldn't be lies, but there may be omission. <laughs> omission. Of, like, changes <laughs> were made. And, like, obviously there's a representative. Well, not most of the time there was a representative of the studio there with yeah. the director. So he'd go, oh, yeah, you know. John whatever said that we should have this and the director go "Uh,
0: okay okay so and sometimes so like the director says change that hair animate it'll make it look more flowing the film executive says that looks stupid uh change it like this and then the director would go back and see that and say oh I have no power here or I don't know were there fights yeah he they would pick battles and sometimes we would
1: be kind of like the pawn in that because then the director would be like No, no, no. I want it like this. So do it again, but let's take a little bit of what they said into
0: consideration, and let's present that. And you just have to listen to whoever was above you. Exactly. And it doesn't matter. There's no... So, I mean, you don't have to tell me what movies, but, like, what kind of uh, things did turn into big battles that you wouldn't expect? Um, I mean, you just mentioned, like, hair. And these are obviously, like, probably all minor things. Well,
1: I, I had... And I don't think I'm getting any sort of trouble by talking about it. But I had one shot on Life of Pi, which was... It's like at the beginning of the movie, it's part of like a zoo montage. Just to say, here's some zoo animals that are in India. Okay. The only thing was these zoo uh, animals were shot in the L.A. zoo. Yeah. And so you have the L.A. hills behind them. And you have different colors of dirt and that sort of thing. And so I had a shot that had eight zebras.
0: Yeah. And in order to like... So this is a zoo in... in, It's supposed to be a zoo in India. Exactly. Not in... Indian animals that would be in zoos here. Right. Okay, it it yeah. was
1: supposed to be zebras in India. But okay. it was very but much it's z-
0: zebras in, in LA. LA. Yeah,
1: and and uh and the director was... He won... I mean, he had a vision, obviously. I mean, he yeah. got an Oscar for it. Uh, and so it wasn't one of those things where we'll shoot it in L.A. and nobody will pay any attention. It'll be like, we shot in L.A., but it's got to look like in India. So I had to like replace the trees because the ones in the L.A. zoo had like this protective around to keep the animals from chewing on it. <laughs> and so I had to remove that so it looked natural. I had to change a fence... Uh, the LA, the Hollywood Hills were in the background. I had to remove those and put in like,
0: those are distinctive.
1: Yeah. uh, And, and change that all out. Plus it was all in 3d. So I was having to do all this for the left eye and the right (laughs) eye. Um, and then the dirt is a very different color. Yeah. And it's not like the dirt is just on the ground. These animals roll in the dirt. And so I had to rotoscope out each individual, which rotoscoping is tracing for every single frame. So you can affect just that one specific area.
0: Wow. This is one of, this is one of the movies you worked 80, 90 hours a week. Uh, Sounds Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, no overtime, uh, because that's, that could, that's, that's a whole other story with everything out yeah, yeah, yeah. there. But so uh, first of all, eight, eight zebras in a pack. I don't know if you know this, but that camouflage is really effective at blurring individual zebras out. And this was like <laughs> a two or 300 frame shot. And so I spent like two or three months on this one shot that ended up being like six seconds in the final cut that is basically kind of pointless as far as the storytelling, changing the color of the dirt and, you know, their main hair and, like, you know, this and that. Uh, and it ended up being... I think we got to, like, 115 revisions on this shot because with that movie and that being big enough, it was yeah. like it would go through our studio. Yeah. And then we'd get passed off to the next branch. Um, and there was such a bureaucracy there that I didn't find out till later that we were into like the 70s and the director hadn't actually ever seen a shot
0: like it had never made it to revision him. 70 yeah, yeah. wow
1: and, and it had just gone to people before him who all thought that they knew what he wanted and so we giving us notes based on that so we ended up version 115 or whatever and when the director finally saw it he decided he liked version 17
0: <laughs> so you could have stopped at 17 and, and
1: been fine but yeah. that, that was what he wanted and wow. it just had never made it to him, such so did a he watch
0: all 115 or did he just go from 1 to 17 and then like done
1: Well, <laughs>
0: I'm <laughs> bored have, let's get to lunch yeah. that,
1: that may have been the case too you, yeah. can't, you can't you don't know yeah exactly um, for the most part you get like dailies where at the yeah. end of the day or at the end of the week or whatever all the shots that your studio level has approved yeah. those will go to the next level for approval and so he'll sit in a room uh, you know a theater and look at them and go I don't like this I don't like this I don't like this yeah. that way you see them all in a batch and so context is a little easier to read too No, but yeah, like depending on how big the bureaucracy is, like I said, it could be forever before the actual director sees it. That
0: that's the thing that like kills me, like when I read movie reviews, especially big blockbuster movies. Is everyone and all these articles out there like oh, like you know the Avengers and Avengers two, and people talking about weeding this and Weedon that. This is all him. And like you you don't have to study film very much or the production of the film very much to realize that there are hundreds of people who have input on this. This Mm -hmm. is no one person's creation. Right. This is a this is a strategy of an entire corporate entity of like several corporate entities. This is a major thing. This is a, uh, uh, and so it's like, Oh, this general won the war. Well, let's ignore the entire army behind him that fought the battle. So it's, it's, I mean like even film criticism now, like how can you criticize a blockbuster movie by pointing at one specific person, you know, even Whedon's image as like, I, I do Whedon movies. Well, how much of that is like, Marketing executive saying, "Well, this is your brand, Whedon, and so you have to make this movie exactly like this. You can't right. try something new. Exactly. You know, we don't even know that. So I don't know. I mean, like, it seems fascinating to
1: me. Well, yeah, and I mean that specific example, Whedon is far more vocal with with some of the battles he fought, especially with Avengers Two. I I got to work on uh, Avengers Two uh, with doing stereo conversion. So literally the very 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 last step,
0: right? And the whole process. everything's locked, basically. Yeah, exactly. And um, the stereo conversion that's for the three D."
1: Yeah, yeah, kids. I'm the one that ruins your films and make them look terrible <laughs> by tr- make them 3D. Uh, but th- that's the, that's the bigger thing. Uh, yeah. That there's, there's so much money right now being made in 3D, mainly in the Asian markets, um, that they all want the movie in 3D, whether it should be in 3D or not. Yeah. But it's constant work, and so I was again. I was working 90 hour weeks. But I did it for you know basically three years whenever I wanted. Like it was busy enough that if I got kind of
0: burned out, there was no seasonal thing for a three exactly. Year. Yeah. It was
1: it was constant. It would slow down during the summers, but there'd still be stuff to work yeah. on. Um, and there was enough money where if like, it was like uh, this other studio called me for like a three week contract, I could basically quit and then come back, and you know there would still be yeah. work there. And so. Yeah, if you look at my IMDb page, there's a lot of really impressive blockbuster movies, and almost (laughs) the majority of it is because I was working on the conversion of it uh, to 3D. But with with Whedon, there's a lot of stuff online where he's talking about, like, I wanted this scene, but the studio said, if you want that scene, you have to do this. Um, And in working on, on that one, like, uh, some of the executives at the, the studio that I was at, they saw the full, like, three-and-a-half-hour cut of the movie and said it was fantastic. Like, I, I have no idea how they're going to cut this down, but Marvel really wants to be under two
0: hours. And so... It was, like, two hours 15, wasn't it? Yeah. It was, yeah so...
1: And, and I think that was because the one scene that... I think it was, like, the farmhouse scene or something like that that, he, that Whedon really wanted in yeah. was that extra... 15 Characterization, minutes. yeah. Exactly. And yeah. so, yeah, you hear lots of, I've heard lots of folks complain about, well, there's these, all these plot loopholes and the story that's not there. And I, I think Wing's just really overworked. It's like, no, he had it there. You're yeah. just n- probably never going to see it unless there's a special edition DVD, because Marvel's like, we really want people out there talking about our movie in under two hours. Yeah. So cut it. So, you know, and if you're cutting an hour and 47 minutes out of yeah. a movie, there's obviously going to be some loopholes no matter what you're doing.
0: Well and the Avengers is sort of a special case because there's so much so much stuff that's already been established and this has to establish so many future films. There's right. so much of the french the franchise hinges upon it. This is the foundation of right. like uh and so like you have to have the Thor sequel scenes and you mm-hmm. have to have this that it, it foreshadows that and you have right. to do this. So there's so many requirements.
1: But then you also have some of the smaller things and this isn't a project I worked yeah. on myself, but there was a director that was tied into uh I think it was Superman Lives or something like that. It was whichever Superman movie that Kevin Smith was supposed to to write uh, back in the day. Oh yeah, and yeah. one of the big With execs. The yeah, exactly. <laughs> one of the big execs was just super keen on there being a giant spider. Uh, and they're like, well, that's kind of stupid. And the movie fell apart anyway, getting yeah. it made. But then the next movie that that guy was exact producer on was Wild Wild West yeah, and demanded a giant mechanical spider. Uh, and it's like, there's no place for that. And so, again, it's more politics. Like, why was that stupid spider in there? Well, definitely wasn't the director's right. idea. That was some
0: guy at the studio who just... So there's politics behind exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's a ton of politics. Uh, so, like, I remember you mentioned in, like, one of our trips to or back from the wait that, like... Mm-hmm. Any given shot, even like the Avengers 2, it was not like Whedon would say yes or no and that was it, it was, or even like the studio. How many people had to get through like approval for any given shot? Like, or like approximately?
1: I mean, it, again, it would depend on the film, but like with like Life of Pi and Avengers and that sort of thing. Yeah, the big ones. Uh, it could be anywhere, It could be almost 20. 20 and, people. And, it, and that's yeah. like on every little pointless shot of like Thor whipping his hair or whatever you know it's not like
0: these are story specific shots you know these are not deep. the trailer shots
1: no these are these are just, just like every open
0: single a shot. door and walk in yeah
1: because like i get it done and my my lead looks at it and then the floor lead looks at it and then the studio lead looks at it and then it goes to uh, the visual effects producer So there's four people before
0: it even leaves your company store, yeah at least and wow.
1: and then after that you know, it depends on how big the studio is, and how again, how big the blockbuster is, and, yeah. and all of that. So, and sometimes there's there's far less than that. Um, one of my better experiences out there was working on Godzilla, um, the twenty fourteen thing. Yeah, the, yeah. the more recent one, and I'm, I'm I feel bad because I'm blanking on the director's name. Uh, he didn't uh, monsters. Yeah, he did monsters, yeah. uh, and so he had a visual effects background. Yeah, and so like he was actually he would come and do dailies. Like, so it would go through the four or five levels, you know, in the studio, and maybe somebody would see it before him. But dude was there.
0: Yeah. He wanted stuff to be out. there. Yeah. Exactly.
1: And not only that, like, again, he knows the hours that we were working. And, like, he'd he been through it all before. And so he came to our floor and, like, walked around and talked to us. And he's like, man, you're doing awesome. And he would know specific uh, shots. Gareth Edwards, I want to say. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Um, and, yeah, so he would actually talk to us. And so it was very much... From us to him, yeah, on that because he was very involved and he knew what was there. But then again, you get the the guys that are seen more as the auteur, you know, yeah. that they don't, you know, it gets to them and they look at it and whatever.
0: Because so. <laughs> uh, it also depends. I mean, like you know, Garrett, the whole thing for Godzilla is the is you know the money shot of Godzilla, right. you know. Uh, so I guess that there's sort of an an, uh, an emphasis there. I mean, Wes Anderson probably isn't going to be. Super bro- broken up. If some special effect, some composite right. thing, isn't as magnificent as it would be in right. Godzilla, but, for example. But
1: then again, like Darren Aronofsky, like I said, his he, he, his office was inside the Look Effects branch in yeah. New York, and so he was in the VFX studio, and so
0: he, I mean that's how
1: close he wanted
0: it. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's definitely all over the place. Uh, um. So. Yeah, you, you so you go through here you start getting I guess burned out a little bit uh or wanting I mean you you've uh had a kid uh or you had right. to, you had uh your uh kid while you're in LA or something like that. Yeah, that that was yeah. kind of like
1: <laughs> I we'd been out there for 3 years at that point and yeah. basically it was like well I, if you're in the if you're in the industry for the most part which uh, because of the hours you work, and especially if you're in the the visual effects industry, I realize it's like you don't have kids, yeah and, and half the time you're divorced because you're working these hours and you're not getting any sleep and yeah you know it's just a lot to put on to somebody um but and you're doing it for the love of it, you know which yeah. is you know you're putting up for it but it but anyway, yeah, so we've done that for three years and and my wife we, we you know we got pregnant uh, I say we you know <laughs> she carried it uh <laughs> and it was just like none of our friends had kids in you know, all our families back here and we was like there's no way that I'd ever get to see my daughter because we had for example uh while doing the stereo conversion there was a 3 month period where i had at least 124 hour shift every week and i went 3 months without actually having a day off they kind of got around like worker rights and stuff like that um <laughs> by just ignoring them well it, it would be one of those things where it'd be, uh, we work a twenty four hour shift, and so yeah. we'd go home at like nine in the morning, and they go take the rest of the day off. Well, I've already put in nine hours, technically, you know, on that day. Yeah. And so, but by the books, it's that's a day off, you know, yeah. and so it's stuff like that. And again, to their credit, they're getting this stuff like right before it has to go to theaters, and so we're not in all cases but in many cases we're pushing these things through just as fast as we can Yeah. Um, and it's not just one movie because the visual effects industry is so messed up you have to have multiple projects uh, in your queue in order to have enough money to survive because if you have just one and that movie for whatever reason gets pushed back and it's like goes back for three weeks of reshoots you have nothing to do for three weeks but you have to keep the power on and so that's why these studios end up going bankrupt so you have three or four projects simultaneous uh, and half the time they're all coming out within weeks of each other and so it's like we worked on uh, Star Trek 2 Iron Man 3 and there was one other movie maybe it was like Pacific Rim and we did the conversion on all three movies in the course of like a month and a half and that that was like, or the in the it was that three month period. Yeah. Overall, so it was just like, and there's hundreds of people working on these things, like around literally around yeah. the clock to get them, get them done and get them out. Um, and sometimes it suffers. Yeah. Other times not, but yeah, I mean, so it's just it's a lot to put up with and, and yeah. expect to have a family, you know. On top of that, and so you look around and there's there's nobody in the visual effects industry that was over 45. Like, I could imagine. You, 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 would, you would die. Exactly. No, yeah. I mean, you. at that point, you either became something else or you opened up your own studio and you paid other guys You grunts, exploited others. Exactly, to do it. And <laughs> a lot of the smaller studios were cooler to work with because these were the guys that had already suffered through it. So, like, I know what it's like. We're going to do everything you can to make it easy. Yeah. But then you have the others that are just like, I want this money and I've already suffered through it. So, now you're going to pay your dues while I make the cash. <laughs> so, yeah. And so a lot of the people I worked with were younger than 25, you yeah. know, all bright eyed wanting that first credit and it's cool and all, but when your first credit's GI Joe retaliation, you're kind of like, Hmm,
0: could have done better. Yeah. I don't know if it was worth that. But. <laughs> was it worth it. Yeah. 80 hour yeah. week. Uh, so, uh, but now you're, you're, you're back in Springfield. Uh, you're focusing more on actual movie stuff, you know, like working on the weight, because there's, right. there's actually a surprising amount of, Media production going around here, like reality shows and infomercials. It's and weird. Stuff like, yeah, it um, is weird. It, the, uh, the
1: bigger thing is, though, to get hired onto it, you've already had to spend your time. Yeah.
0: In LA, you know, for the most part, to get yeah, on some it had of to this be stuff. a veteran. Yeah. Exactly. uh And. Uh, you're now. I do of course want to mention, and we'll put links up in the, the podcast uh, that you do have your own website, Nights End, with a blog, and you've set mm-hmm. up a Facebook page with your because you're you're currently looking for uh, uh, art illustration stuff. Yeah, illustration yeah, stuff.
1: As I, I do I do a lot of visual effects freelance. You know, I I still do work on like Nashville and Sleep yeah. Hollow and that sort of stuff. Um, but again, I don't want to still be doing that when I'm 45. Yeah. But uh, illustration is something I've always loved, and I've done a lot of in the past. Uh, and so that's what I'm I'm hoping to build in more now. Yeah. So yeah, I, I'm, I've set up an artist page and uh, I'm trying to blog a little bit more now that I have the time to yeah. blog. Um, I'm doing stuff like Inktober and that, that oh, yeah, sort yeah, of yeah. deal. So that's always fun. yeah, it, it, it's been a good time. And then uh, you set up.
0: Do you have a Tumblr too? Or
1: I don't. Have, I have an Instagram. Okay. Uh, because a lot of the artists I
0: followed were on Instagram. Yeah. No. Um, you can't be on every social media. Exactly. I yeah. use I use Tumblr, but uh.
1: well, and that's the thing. Like I, I set up a Tumblr, but then I realized that my my internal bandwidth is like two social media. Oh, that's things, fair. and so it's like I had a Twitter, <laughs> but once I started Instagram, you know,
0: you learn what it's like Pokemon. You learn one thing, you have to delete another move. Yeah. Right?
1: Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I can only keep so much in my head. times. Uh,
0: so. well, you can set up things that like. You post one thing, then it goes to, like, four different sites. Right,
1: which is why I like Instagram, because I can post on Facebook. Oh, okay, there you Instagram. Go. And um, I like do Twitter, too. I have to look at that. But. That's true. Uh,
0: so, one thing, of course, this is a tabletop gaming podcast. Right, right And you right, do right. have a background. You, I mean, you've played, like, World of Darkness and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, just listening to this, I, I mean, I have ideas, too. Like I mentioned earlier, Fiasco would be a great game for mm. games set in the video game or... Uh, visual effects industry uh, I don't know what if you were running if you, you if you're you know paid or told to like run a game in whatever you could pick whatever game you want uh, it could be whatever genre you want but it has to be set within the video game or visual effects industry what kind of scenarios or adventures or campaigns would you come up with I um, I would come up with, of course, a uh, mystery about uh, embezzled money or something like that. Like, well, you have these inter, you know, this flow. Like, if a producer or the director is stealing money from the production, he can just make the claim uh, using the visual effects as basically a fall guy for all the stolen money. Well, they're saying that they 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 took all this money to do all these things, and so like. And then the players, of course, the hapless pawns, in right. the, and they would, and they only want to solve the crime so they can keep the lights on and their and keep their jobs because right. finding a job is such a pain in the ass. Right, right, right. Let's solve that mystery. So it's like a Scooby Doo gang, but with more depressing, exploitative aspects. Right. Um, and then the other job, actually, one of my friends, uh, Caleb, who's also on this podcast, is coming with a game called Red Markets, where you're freelancers in this post zombie apocalypse world, and. So you have to take jobs to try and earn enough money to get to the non-zombie-filled part of the world. And so I can see some... So we're like, oh, we need some B-roll of zombies rolling around. Here's a camera. Go out in the zombie field. We'll pay you some money to go shoot footage, uh, you know. Or we need... We're out of... uh, There are no more copies of Avid Media Composer. Can you go out and salvage some from this ruined movie studio? And we can use drones to go to get that. So that would be the kind of thing I would do for that. But I don't know. What about you? I I mean, that... (laughs) <laughs> that it's pretty
1: solid honestly uh definitely the the bureaucracy i think would play into any sort of gameplay like you have your boss levels like yeah. the studio exec then they direct the exec yeah. studio and uh uh so you, yeah
0: how do you manage like the the interwe like if you have more than one boss and there's not it's not like a, a military chain of command right. where like you report to this guy here it's like anyone can show up to your door and tell you to do something right. and you have to do that so like yeah, how do you deal with that? I mean, that's a good game, but like, how, in your personal strategy, it's just like keep your head down and look well, for the best. <laughs> you ba- I mean, basically,
1: like there was definitely uh, a one studio exec that whenever he came through, you almost tried to not be working on your shop but still look busy because he was kind of known for coming in and going, this is all terrible, start over. Like sort of scenario, and in in that kind of position, I mean, you're getting set back to one, yeah. And so then you you would have to kind of wait for him to leave, and then go talk to your direct lead and go,
0: "How much of this do I really have to do? Like, how much damage <laughs> did I really just
1: take?" Yeah. In that, um, and so yeah, there's definitely a lot of a lot of level politics.
0: I think I like I like that idea.
1: Um, and in video game style or. Uh, <laughs> I actually I, I had a design kind of for a, a video game kind of side scroller, but one of the big things was like concept change. Yeah. Like where you've you worked on it for like three months and all of a sudden it's not it's not like a, a bubblegum pop sort of thing. It's a it's a dystopia sort of thing. So <laughs> rework all how your sense. Yeah. Exactly. Or yeah, direction change of like how they want everything to look. So you've been working really hard. Like, well, there was one one show that we worked on where all the skies were blue, you know. Or, or, no, it was the opposite. They were all cloudy because it was, like, 1904, like, New York or something yeah. like that. It's a lot of smoke. And then one person in the chain saw it and it's like, no, no, no. All skies are blue now. <laughs> and so we had to go back through and replace all the sky, you know. And so definitely little blocks like that to knock you back. Uh, the bureaucracy is awesome. Uh, whichever way you would work it, it would have to have um, – donut and uh, uh, energy drink (laughs) power-ups like a survival because like you you see like uh, in some shows especially like stuff set in India you have the little tea cart going around Yeah. well in the video game and the uh, the visual effects industry that cart is getting pushed around at 3am with Krispy Kreme and Red Bulls like that and (laughs) or you knew something was going to happen that was really bad whenever you're supposed to get off work in 10 minutes and they say hey guys floor meeting in the uh, kitchen free ice cream Ooh, you're just like ah, damn it! Because you knew you were working through the weekend and you were not going home that night because somebody
0: just said something and a huge change. happened. Got to change those zebras, man! Exactly, exactly.
1: <laughs> so something along that or um, a conspiracy sort of stop oh, game, I think, would be a lot of fun because again, you have again this this hierarchy, and I mean, you can yeah. get online in five minutes find all these conspiracies about how. Studio exec, you know, is in league with this studio exec, and they're actually Nazis from back or the, in the Illuminati, day. exactly yeah, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. And kind of controlling, sort of, and you hear, I mean, if you're on Facebook for two minutes, you see how such and such media is trying to paint such and such oh, as yeah. bad or good. It could very easily be done within the film industry. So some
0: producers trying to uh, pollute or corrupt the movie to fulfill some sort of agenda. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Like, and I think I think Rush Limbaugh said that the Muppets movie was promoting the liberal agenda. Like, I mean, silly stuff <laughs> like that. But like in a, in a game atmosphere. Oh, it
0: was yeah, Cthulhu. Yeah.
1: Exactly. Um, you you could have any sort of like the lizard
0: people or whatever are trying yeah. to
1: prepare. That could actually be, be a
0: serious horror game, you know. Like if yeah. if it was, yeah, you're you're trying to scan in pages from the Necronomicon and throw them in the background. Exactly,
1: and and that's yeah. actually one of the the bigger, easier things would be, like, because we're layering in so many deals, it's kind of free. Happens a lot, just you know, little with Easter us. Eggs. Yeah, well, we hide stuff in there. Like, um, in in my wife's family, their shorthand for "I love you" is uh, one four three. Yeah, and so anytime I was called upon to do a shot like through a viewfinder or whatever, if there was a number on that screen, I would put in one four three. Oh yeah. So there's these things out there all all over where I'm proclaiming my love towards my wife, uh, because I was working these stupid hours and I needed all the brownie points I could get. Um, <laughs> See, this this shot in GI Joe Retaliation exactly. proves I
0: love you. Yeah.
1: Um, but I know some folks that have put in like logos to their own personal yeah. freelance business or a couple. Of, uh, there was one guy that actually from uh, Missouri State University where I went that uh, he got to work on the re-release of Star Wars, yeah. and he got a Millennium Falcon shot. And so if you freeze-frame it at just the right point, you can see like part of his signature like blended in, if you really know what to look for. Oh, um, very And obscure. then there was a, another guy, who I don't even know, I, he was blacklisted for a little while because he put <laughs> his name on the side of one of the ships in the, in the new Star Wars, or in the, the re-release of Star Wars. Oh, Star Wars, Star Wars. okay. Um, and just put his name on the side of it, thinking no one would ever see it. Yeah. It just happened that they grabbed one of those frames for the uh, promotional and blew it up, like billboard size, and they're dude's yeah. name is on the side of the ship so he had trouble finding work for a little while but I mean in a more it, conspiratorial sort of thing if you wanted to work in like subliminal messaging and yeah. like you know they live sort of this is your god sort of oh, stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. it would be incredibly simple as long you know in, in the beginning the
0: peons like oh god they're putting in Cthulhu in this what do we do exactly well it'll end the world but I really want to have a job right, exactly yeah. and that's
1: sort and uh, and it, the, you know or spells or something like that or yeah. if you put a, a subliminal spell up there, and you've got you know 65 million people all reading the spell simultaneously. Oh yeah, what will it open? Very like, yeah, very. the the belief that people put into film by oh. well, watching it, this sort of thing, like you got to stop this movie from being made, or it's going to open up the eighth dimension. You know that sort of situation. <laughs> Hunger
0: so. Games Part Seven must exactly. die. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're making the prequels, so yeah, they're they're going to keep making them forever. That's right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you think I'm joking, but uh, no, we're really no, not. So, uh, great. Uh, so check out, uh, Daryl's websites, uh, and his art. Uh, and, uh, yeah, if you're thinking about being in the video game or visual effects industry, you might want to think about it again. Yeah. Uh, and, and feel free to uh,
1: drop me a, a line yeah. on any of those websites of social media, just ask questions. Cause I've done that. Uh, for a couple of colleges and stuff like that, where students ask questions before they go out. And yeah. I, I, if I can save anybody pain, I will happily do <laughs> it. So,
0: <laughs> All right. Well, uh, this is Ross Bay with RPBR. Uh, talk to you next time.